Hi, and welcome to the Investment Week podcast for March, where we'll be talking about this month's budget. I'm your host, Dan Flynn, Senior Asset Management Correspondent at Investment Week. Investment Week has been the premier publication serving professional investors in the UK since 1995. You can find out more about us by visiting www.investmentweek.co.uk. This month, Chancellor Philip Hammond fell short of making his first budget a memorable one, but industry commentators have said it was wise to adopt a more cautious anti-Goldilocks budget until the path to Brexit is clearer. I am here with Michelle McGrade, Chief Investment Officer at TD Direct Investing, to talk about some of the potential effects of Hammond's announcements. Thank you for joining me, Michelle. Yeah, great to be here. Michelle, from an investment management perspective, which of the Chancellor's proposals do you think will have the biggest impact on the industry and why? Look, he didn't really make any proposals that directly affected the investment management industry, really. He talked about national insurance. From 2000 onwards, uh, you're going to have to pay tax on your dividends. And so people were a little bit upset about that. And, And that's really all he had to say. But we've got to remember that in the background, what he did... Uh, and what the government has done is they've put in plans for saving for the individual investor. So there is the ISA, which is a tax-free environment, or wrapper, if you like, where investors can invest in stocks and shares for their lifetime. You've got to put the money in. Once you take it out, that's you can't put it back in again. But while it's in there, it can grow and uh, you can make profits and not be uh, subject to capital gains tax. And importantly, you can collect those dividends and not pay income tax. So for people who have large amounts of shares, even company shares or whatever, they can put them into an ISA. That's probably a worthwhile exercise. And what did you think of some of the additional relief for small businesses? I think some of the reliefs that were announced were were like tinkering around the edges. So things like the 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 tax, uh, the business tax on um, companies that that really needs to be overhauled. So what he did is he just put a little stopgap in there just to help these businesses out. In the meantime, while I think they think through the bigger ramifications, I mean. I was asked the other day by a, a company who's a, a nursery, and they said, why should we have to pay higher business rate taxes than, say, an internet company? And it's quite true, because a nursery looks after kids. It needs to have a prominent location. Can't do it online. We haven't worked that one out yet, how to look after kids online. So they have to have a space, and they probably have to have quite an expensive space too. But their revenues uh, shouldn't be affected by the, the, uh, the expense of space. And so this whole thing needs to be rethought. And what I think Philip Hammond fell into is a little bit of, of a trap of tinkering at the edges, just trying to deal with some of these issues like the business tax, like social care, which is a huge problem. And he just thought, it's in the news, people are unhappy about uh, social care, what am I going to do about it? And so he just tried to find some ways to do that. And of course, people got a little bit upset because it's so-called breaking the manifesto by raising national insurance for self-employed. But really, what governments need to do is to probably stop 
draw a line under things and really think things through and make, I don't know, our taxes and collecting taxes a much more simple affair. The simpler collecting taxes will be, the more likely people are likely to pay it. As soon as it gets complicated and form-filling and stuff like that and more maths, you know, people aren't interested and it really, um, it's a real deterrent. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to tinkering around the edges, do you think as we get more um, sort of insight into the Brexit process over the next year, uh, Philip Hammond will have more, more space to maybe do some broader and bigger changes? Oh, that's going to be an interesting one. I'm not sure, really. I think Brexit is going to be more complicated. And we've already seen that, that it's really complicated. So for him to have more... Um, room and more firepower to do things I, I don't think he will have but we'll see actually uh, what he plans to do because the next budget is the autumn budget and that's when he said this is his, going to be his main budget so he's got ooh, six months or so to really uh, flesh something out and that should be the first stepping stone and should show us how he plans to uh, structure, finances, etc. going forward. Uh, so one of the more interesting things in the budget was that UK growth expectations have been upgraded from 1.4% to 2% for this year, although they are expected to fall again in the coming years as Brexit negotiations take place. Um, do, do you agree with these figures? And what do you think they mean for UK equities? Okay, so I do agree with the figures. I, I am optimistic, but I'm always a half glass full sort of person but definitely I see not only is there more optimism in the UK about business and activity is is strong fairly much across the board but also the rest of the world activity has picked up everywhere really it is quite surprising just to look at Japan Asia emerging markets even Europe, where we've seen economic activity and <clears throat> the economic uh, indicators all picking up. Now, the big driver for why we should be optimistic is really the change in sentiment from uh, austerity to growth. And, of course, with Trump being elected in the States and the US being the biggest country in the world – the fact that he wants to spend more and make America great and all that sort of thing means that it is really likely that the growth and the stimulation that occurs in the US, we haven't actually seen it yet, but we've been promised it, will trickle forward and really help equities around the world. So I think equities are going to do quite well. But I would caveat that because you'll have heard a lot of commentators saying that... Uh, equities are expensive. Now, there are only certain types of equities that are expensive because the market has been going up quite strongly, really, since the financial crisis. I think we're in the third longest bull market in history. But it's only been certain types of shares that have really been going up. So it has been the consumer stocks and the IT stocks and the, um, the well-known brands that have been going up. And they're all really expensive right now. Great companies, don't get me wrong, 
but they're expensive. And there are a lot of companies out there that have been treading water and going nowhere. So bank shares, uh, industrial shares, anything to do, I suppose, with infrastructure um, have really just been going nowhere. And oil as well has uh, been going through, you know, its uh, peaks, troughs definitely and starting to recover. So what we may see is what I term as sector rotation. It's already started, but those more boring industrial type shares may start performing really well and actually those consumer names and the tech names may start treading water. So you may not see the index itself rise dramatically from here, but you may see quite a lot of different stocks moving. And um, how are you playing this from an asset allocation point of view? So from an asset allocation point of view, we have been recommending more of the cyclical value type funds. We're very much into the fund business. So uh, recommending funds to our investors. So we've been highlighting those sorts of funds. And uh, we still talk about disruption because we think that that is what is taking the world forward if you can build a bridge uh, more efficiently using technology and uh, uh, lessening the, the carbon footprint, then that is a really good thing. So those sorts of companies involved with all of that, I think, will do well. And so we promote fund managers who like that sort of environment and invest in that sort of environment. So that's what we promote. And um, how are these sort of recommendations resonating with investors? So I think that they're... they're going well, actually. We're seeing investors still invest in technology funds. They like technology. They definitely like the banks. In fact, Lloyds Bank is the most traded stock at TD Direct Investing. So they anything that is uh, about banks, about recovery, and about oil are things that our customers really like. But in general, what I'm finding is a lot of customers are really quite nervous about the stock market because it has risen very strongly. People who were nervous anyway about investing um, now think, oh, have I missed my time? But actually, I think there's more juice in this market. And so this is what I've been telling people that, you know, maybe you should start regular investing and just put a bit away each month and try not to put emotion into the investment process because that is often when you make the worst decisions. Thanks for joining us today, Michelle. Next up, asset management correspondent Jane Arana speaks to Hermes Investment Management's Group Chief Economist Neil Williams about other announcements made in the spring budget and what they will mean for the UK economy. Dan. To talk about the wider implications of the budget, I'm joined once again by Neil Williams, Group Chief Economist at Hermes Investment Management. So Neil, as many have said, Hammond's first budget wasn't exactly memorable, but that it was the right approach as we enter Brexit negotiations. What do you think? Well, it was one of the more straightforward budgets. Uh, let's face it, having set out his stall just in November, 
And uh, given that we're still awaiting the main event, which is our Brexit negotiations, um, that Mr Hammond's budget was never going to raise too many eyebrows this time round. Um, I suppose the main element is that because of Sterling's fall since last year, um, he's had a bit of a cash windfall. He's got more uh, money in his back pocket, uh, which allows him uh, a bit of a sunnier outlook, at least for this year uh, and for next year than he'd expected. But uh, let's, uh, let, let's face it, there's going to be years of twists and turns in these Brexit negotiations. So I think financial markets overall probably would have approved uh, from the fact that he's keeping this extra windfall pocketed uh, from a macro perspective uh, until the economy needs it most. And uh, between now and the, the autumn statement, as you know, sterling's fallen, so Hammond has some extra cash in his back pocket. What can we expect from that? Well, the, ch the Chancellor made it clear that he's really sticking with his plan A, uh, which means that his plans are to ease the sort of fiscal headwinds um, that, uh, that are before us uh, and to loosen the reins a little bit compared, for example, to the, the, what Mr Osborne uh, had in mind. But Mr Hammond's fiscal guard is, uh, uh, is, still, is still up, and it has to be, because uh, even with his savings this time round, uh, then, tongue-in-cheek, uh, he now has to borrow only an extra £100 billion over the coming five years uh, compared to the plans he had this time round. So uh, it was only right that, that he kept his powder dry, kept the windfall in his back pocket, uh, and uh, will probably uh, have to pull that out as the economy uh, remains vulnerable as those Brexit negotiations get underway. He didn't mention much for savers who, as of late, have been the main sufferers from this low interest rate environment. Do you think that's something that's going to continue, or is there some hope for them yet? Well, it's pretty clear that interest rates are going to have to stay low. Um, but on, on the fiscal numbers, um, let, let's, let's not get carried away. Mr Hammond, I think, um, uh, was quite proud of the fact that deficit uh, is, uh, is lower this year. The deficit, uh, of course, could be described as something uh, as, the, as the, 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 what, what's coming out of the tap. Uh, but let's face it, the sink, uh, in terms of the stock of debt, is as full as it has been. Uh, and is continuing to rise, and um, that, that debt is expected to peak at about 90% of GDP um, only in the, in the coming year. And to put that into perspective, that's, that's more than twice Japan's was uh, when Japan limped into its uh, lost decade in the mid-90s. The main difference uh, is that uh, for the UK, uh, about a third of our UK gilts are, are backed by international investors who will care about currency risk, and they will care about uh, foreign ratings risk. Uh, so where I'm getting to with this is that as a result, it seems, uh, it seems likely the Bank of England behind the scenes is going to have to continue not just with cheap money going forward, but also uh, continuing to, to run its own tap in terms of uh, QE. And of course, all the attendant uh, unintended consequences that may bring in terms of further asset price distortions, uh, suppressed saving, and uh, increased funding strains on, on many pension schemes. And can we make any assumptions yet on plans for the, the autumn budget? Yes, of course, because this year we're, we're blessed with two budgets in, in just one year. But I, 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 would, I would suspect that even Mr Hammond at this stage uh, isn't, isn't completely uh, sure as to what he may be thinking um, this coming uh, autumn. And I say that simply because um, the, with the Brexit negotiations underway, there's still a great deal of uncertainty. We, we now know roughly the destination uh, that the government wants to, to, to end up at. But... Uh, the big uncertainty still is, is uh, really the journey time. Uh, and the only real precedents we have are firstly Greenland, which left the EU uh, in the mid-80s. It took them three years. And of course, last year, Canada signed up to an EU deal after seven years of negotiations. So, so my main concern 
uh, is that the, the, this period of uncertainty linked to Brexit is going to take far longer than the two years uh, assumed by Article 50 and rather more closer uh, to the five or seven years uh, faced by some other deals. Um, and added to that, let's face it, uh, we are opening uh, the, uh, the exit door at possibly a difficult time given that our EU peers uh, are for the most part uh, facing their own elections this year. They're not probably going to want to give an easy deal uh, to the UK when they have their own electorates uh, to face. So coming back to the, to, the, to the autumn budget, it's only right, it seems, that Mr Hammond, from a, from a macro perspective, uh, will have his windfall in his back pocket uh, to try to uh, fill in and smooth out some of the dips in the economy uh, between now and uh, as the uh, negotiations uh, uh, get underway. Well, I think it's safe to say it's going to be an interesting couple of years. Thank you for joining me, Neil. That's all we have time for today. We'd love to hear your comments and ideas for future podcasts if there are any particular topics you'd like us to cover. You can contact me via email at jaina.rana at incisivemedia.com. Thanks for listening.